Hello, hello, hello. Welcome, Mime Theater. Uh, I just want to apologize for the lateness, you know, dealing with finals and end-of-the-year stuff. And I just want to say thank you so much for supporting Mind Theater this past year in 2021. And I'm just really excited for what Mind Theater will look like next year. And I have a lot of great ideas and a lot of things I want to, things I want to try out in the in the upcoming year. And I just hope that you guys will be there for the ride. And, you know, uh, thank you just so much for supporting me. Um, that's pretty much it. So without further ado, introducing The Sopranos. Christopher Moltisante story. Thanks. I got no identity. I mean, even Brendan Falone's got an identity. He's dead. I killed that fucking email cola on nothing. I don't even move up a notch. All I got is nightmares. That Polish, Czech, Slavic, whatever the fuck he is, is haunting me in my dreams every night. Ambition can be a funny thing, especially in the world of the Mafia. Without it, you're lost, stuck at the bottom rung of a hierarchy that treats you as disposable, but with it, you're made even more vulnerable to a cast of powerful characters also vying for a seat at the table and ultimately the top. It's a nasty business, truly, and for a man whose story is as tragic as Christopher Moltisanti's, it's been a racket who, through his visceral, lived experiences, has revealed the cost of living to serve the powerful, ruthless, and emotionally unhinged. Very well, uh, we're gonna do. Chris's journey begins reasonably enough, serving as a driver and enforcer to one Tony Soprano, New Jersey mob boss. His initial eagerness to rise through the ranks of the Mafia is palpable, speaking to both Tony's role in grooming him to one day lead, and his own desires to fulfill a certain kind of power fantasy outside the walls of Scorsese and Coppola dialogue. You can observe Al Pacino lose his innocence or watch Joe Pesci lose his cool. What the fucking world is coming through? How do you like that? But in this world, it's not until you make your bones, showcasing your true commitment to the family business, that the reality of buried bodies and mock executions and the lasting impact of flirting with death is revealed. The scars you make along the way are ones you'll carry forever, whether they're physical or mental. Emil Kolar was Chrissy's first, and it was this single act of one life taking another that set Chris off on a spiraling identity crisis, unfamiliar to his fellow mobsters, at least the ones that don't go to therapy. I had another panic attack. And I thought I had this shit beat! To be a mobster is to be in a vocation that doesn't concern itself with self-preservation or lasting impact. It's about the here and now, about leveraging the amount of danger and risk you're willing to put yourself in for the good of the family at this present moment. The instant you find yourself unable to participate, you're useless. Chris feels presently at odds with his place in the mafia hierarchy and the actions he takes to move up a notch. No praise or recognition, just paranoia and nightmares. And as indictments roll in and the crew's names are plastered over the TV news like movie stars or celebrities, that feeling of emptiness, of floating through space aimlessly, of having no arc, rings truer and truer within Chrissy's soul, a man desperately striving for you? purpose. Talk to me. This ain't like you, kid. I ran it to Billy Cracciolo. Meet a maid? 
What about him? Told me the regular cops in Nutley are looking for a guy. Blew off a kid's toe for no good reason in Russo's bakery. Drove a Lexus? Does Tony know about this? What's going on, Chrissy? Been working my ass off on this movie script. You know how many pages I got? Nineteen. That a lot or a little? Books say a movie's supposed to be about 120 pages. <sighs> got this fucking computer. I thought it would do a lot of it. You're being frank about the business, kid. I would never do that. It's only suggested by... That writer with the bullfights blew his own fucking head off. I bought a script writing program and everything. My advice? Put that thing down a while. We go get our joints capped. And tomorrow, the words will come blowing out your ass. You ever feel like nothing good was ever gonna happen to you? Yeah, and nothing did. So what? I'm alive, I'm surviving. That's it. I don't want to just survive. It says in these movie writing books that every character has an arc. You understand? Like everybody starts out somewhere, and then they do something, or something gets done to them, changes their life. That's called their arc. Where's my arc? I take Richard Kimball, right? I think in a lot of ways, this search speaks to the adverse effects of glamorizing media a pastime Chrissy's more than eager to partake in. It has a tendency to disrupt our thought processes, blur the lines between the fantastical and our tragic reality. In his mind, to be a gangster is to be a movie star, to be respected and revered, to be in a collective family whose importance supersedes that of your own families. And when Chrissy judges his own life against this Goodfellas-esque standard, he can't help but feel jaded by the prospect of progress in the mob filled with characters unwilling to relinquish respect or power he so readily deserves. Nothing sadder than a character without an arc because the outside world of onlookers cares not to root for you, a man who isn't going anywhere, and the inside world of degenerates view the fruit of his ambition as taking swings at their own. Chrissy's smart, he sees the writing on the wall, and the reality that to be a man of ambition in a world of men whose power rivals and even surpasses your own is to write yourself a death sentence, to dig yourself an early grave, and it takes very little in the way of day-to-day mafia grunt work to find yourself in a position similar to Christopher's, analyzing the world and your place in it with a level of cynicism and inward reflection that so many others choose to ignore. Christopher. Hey. I'm sorry, T. For what? I know you're mad at me. What are you talking about? I'm not mad at you. Nobody's mad at you. I'm going to hell, T. You're not going anywhere but home. I crossed over to the other side. You want... I saw the tunnel and the white light. I saw my father in hell. Get the fuck out of here. And the bouncer said that I'd be there too when my time comes. What bouncer? The Emerald Piper. That's our hell. It's an Irish bar where it's St. Patrick's Day every day, forever. (laughs) Mikey Pamisi and Brendan Fallon were there too. They were friends. Those two guys hated each other. Christopher, you gotta relax, okay? You just need some rest. They're friends now. They were playing dice with two Roman soldiers and a bunch of the Irish guys. 
Doesn't make sense. And the Irish, they were winning every role. And then Mikey gave me a message for both of you. A message? Yeah. Yeah, he said, uh, tell Tony and Paulie, three o'clock. To be a mobster is to have a level of agency stripped away. To lead a life of chasing guys through the woods on multiple occasions, of being muscled up and shaken down by betters like Polly, no matter how high you climb, of having to lick the boot of Tony Soprano whenever he deems it necessary. And it's this relationship with Tony that puts Chris's pain into perspective. Inside Chris is a man waiting to be transformed, waiting for the cyclical pain that manifests itself both inwardly and outwardly to lead to something new. Not necessarily something better, just something new. All of his suffering can't be for nothing. There needs to be an end goal, some kind of forward momentum. And Chris is having an identity crisis that few mobsters face outwardly. Guys like Polly, Sil, Pussy Malanga, they've all done their time, as a soldier or in the can, and have always maintained a level of well-adjustedness when it comes to doing the dirty work. To be concerned with arcs or life direction, is to remove oneself from the present moment that constantly calls for their muscle and hot-headedness, and succumb to the true weight of being fearful of the consequences of one's actions and the future that's in store for them. Chris is armed with the supernatural ability to look outside of himself at himself and see not a man but a character destined for tragedy, and he's one of the few people who can make this cause-effect relationship in any meaningful way, the other being Tony. You and me, we're close. We've done a lot of things for each other. The cop shot my father. I know what you're telling me. I'll never forget that. This is how you repay me. I gotta worry if you're gonna flip over a nickel bag of white powder. No, Tony, never. You lied to me. I told you you were the future with his family. I gave you that responsibility, and you looked me in the eye, and you accepted it, and you were fucking high. Tony. Shut up. Tomorrow morning you're gonna go and you up to this rehab place in Pennsylvania. You're going in, you're staying in. You're going to every fucking session and you're gonna keep your mouth shut. Now, if you need anything, anything at all, Patsy's gonna be half a mile away from you in a motel. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? Huh? Do you understand? Tony, I'm sorry. How did I fucking get to this? Tony represents a remaining father figure, an almost guardian angel, but also a distributor of punishment an unrelenting force in Chris's life who is protective over him as if he's his own son. And in Chris's darkest moments, when he finds himself drifting away from the mafia doctrine, Tony serves as someone to metaphorically and sometimes literally smack some sense into him. It's a deeply abusive power dynamic that preys on Chris's remaining innocence, if there's any left. And it ultimately stops Chris from attaining the metamorphosis that years of gangster movie watching and weeks of substance recovery have prepared him for. Tony's own self-importance, his own disgust for Chris as a person, had always reigned supreme over any other feeling he had about him, and in keeping him under his wing and within his grasp, 
true interchange is never possible. Never pass a drug test. Call me taxi. Chrissy's biggest tragedy was always being in someone else's story. To live within the gravitational pull of Tony Soprano with ambition is to have a man who envies you and grooms you, but doesn't truly respect you. Just as Chris had looked up to mafia texts like The Godfather and Goodfellas for some semblance of wisdom, some notion of truth to prescribe to his ever-complicated life, the texts themselves had looked to him to break the conventions, utilizing their fantasy to create his lived reality that can only be described as purposeful. It's an impossible task. Chris himself, after all, is a deeply textual being, a character whose life doesn't extend outside the bounds of HBO static or a black roll credit screen, but instead has become as ingrained to the mafia mythos as Tommy DeVito or Sonny Corleone or even Spider. And although Christopher Moltisante may have felt at odds with his arc and true inner purpose, as a mobster with too much ambition, his tragic story was one that was ultimately worth telling. Mind Theater is a solo effort producer written by me, Ao Akingbade. For updates on the show, as well as my other content, follow Mind Theater Pod on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you want to show monetary support, the Ko-fi link is in the show notes. Thanks for listening. I'll catch you next time.